Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this opportunity to gather together as family, to fellowship together in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for giving us the Word of God. Thank you for implanting it in our souls. And thank you for sanctifying us with it. You saved us by it. Your Spirit continues to encourage us, exhort us with it, deliver us by it, even as believers. Father, what a privilege it is to study your word, to be fed by it, for it is the very bread of life. It sustains us. It nourishes us, Father. And we're so very grateful for this opportunity. Father, we pray also for those in the congregation that are ill, whose health seems to be fleeting. We know that they desire to be here with us, but your will be done. We just pray that their suffering be minimized and that you bring them back to us as soon as possible so that we might fellowship with them as well. We pray also, Father, for those that are still lost in this world. It's unimaginable how they even go about living without a relationship with you, your crea uh, their creator. So we pray that we have the opportunity to evangelize them, Father, and we appreciate the opportunity to do so. On that note, we are most grateful and thankful, Father, for you're sending your son to die in our stead, to make a morning like this even a joyous occasion for all of us, we believers in Christ. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part two of how God enlightens the eyes of our hearts. Obviously, you know from Scripture that that is a, a ripoff. The title is a ripoff from Scripture, as we'll see again this morning. Thursday evening's class was wonderfully placed after a 30-part series on what is repentance and who gets to define it. Uh, a good portion of that lesson was spent on the following principle, and it was interesting that um, you know, after 30 parts of studying the Word so closely and finding out and investigating what is repentance, um, that this particular point came out. After all of that, um, the supernatural Bible, the Bible is the only supernatural book that we have. And um, it was a nice reminder um, that sort of came up in uh, last week's leadership meeting from one of the leaders, and then the Spirit highlighted it uh, this past week, that that's how you are to look at the Bible. It's not just another book. It's not just another text. It's supernatural. Think of the very best book you've ever read that's not the Bible, even if it's fiction. Those things are just, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, they're just nothing. Like, Italy, nothing compared to the Word of God. 
And it's because the Bible is a supernatural book. God's intention is that we read and hear His Word in a way that lies beyond natural human experiences. And we're going to look at these scriptures again. Ephesians 1, 17 and 19, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, John 15, 10 to 11, and Romans 8, 10 to 17. So for starters, the Word of God says that we are able to see the Lord with what the Bible calls the eyes of our hearts. See the Lord for who He truly is, who He ought to be uh, in our lives. Um, and we have that ability, this supernatural ability to see Him with what the Bible calls the eyes of our hearts. This really means that we get to know our Lord by reading or hearing His Word. We get to know Him, have faith in Him. Remember, faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of Christ. And we get this supernatural ability to know our Lord. I mean, He's not here, right? Not physically, not like we are. But we, get to, we have the privilege to get to know Him. And that does not happen without this. That's the point. And that's why people that speculate about Jesus, oh, I love Jesus, and I love God, and Jesus loves me, and God's this, and God that, and Jesus. And they don't read their Bibles. It's, it's, um, it's kind of folly. It's, it's a bit ridiculous. It's, it'd be like, in a much worse way, me saying, you know, hey, that Nelson Mandela guy, he was such a cool guy. I've never met the guy. How do I know? I've never talked to him, never met him, never spent any real time with him. Uh, that's the same way that a person says, oh, I love Jesus, he's the best, but don't, doesn't read their Bible. How do you know Jesus if you, if you actually don't know him? Because he is the Word. And that's what the Spirit's saying. Um, and it's much greater than that. That's a weak example. Because there's a supernatural reality to this relationship that believers only have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Spirit's been getting at, and He's going to continue to get at this morning. So opening the eyes of our hearts or enlightening the eyes of our hearts, it really means that we get to know our Lord by reading or hearing His Word. Obviously, we don't fellowship Him uh, with Him the way we do with each other in the flesh. Rather, we are wholly dependent on the supernatural abilities of the Word and the Spirit to teach us about our Lord. If we want to get to know Him, we are fully dependent in a supernatural way. I mean, an unbeliever can read this, right? Do they know Jesus? No. Satan knows the Bible better than any of us do. Yet Jesus Christ is like, you know, no. There were people in, you know, uh, the Bible that are quoted saying, didn't we prophesy in your name? I never knew you. So this is a supernatural thing. This is why reading our Bibles is so very important to our sanctification, our perspective, our love even for Jesus Christ. It's silly to propose that you know Jesus and you don't know the Bible. 
it's ridiculous to propose that you know and love Jesus Christ and this whole thing if you don't know the Word. Because He is the Word. That's the whole point. And it doesn't mean just memorizing Scripture like some people do. Posers, let's call them. It means actually knowing Him supernaturally. Go to Ephesians 1.17. Ephesians 1.17. I think it's amazing that people say they know Jesus Christ, love Jesus Christ, um, have this amazing relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet they have no relationship with their Bible. That doesn't make sense. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. You have to get to know Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now that's an important phrase, toward us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, etc., etc., toward us who believe. Up here on the board, that's an important statement that we ought not overlook. It seems too obvious to say this, but this means that having the eyes of your heart enlightened is a unique gift given to believers only. Having the eyes of your heart opened or enlightened is unique to believers only. Now there's a smidgen for unbelievers when their eyes are enlightened to the gospel. But that's a very small fraction of what we get to enjoy as believers. The insights, the enlightenment, enlighten, remember, with light. Jesus is also the light. When our eyes, the eyes of our heart are enlightened, we receive much more, much greater grace And so it's unique, and it's a gift given to believers only. It seems so obvious to say that, but you've got to wonder the way people think nowadays in so-called modern Christianity if they actually know this. As a side note, this is why we aren't to try to, let's say, win people over win people over with long diatribes about how awesome Jesus is to we believers. We know He's awesome, right? We read the Bible, we're blown away. But an unbeliever doesn't have the sight to see. They're still blind. And so, you're not going to win anyone over by being so... um, Excited? Exuberant? So this is just a little side note, food for thought. We're we're not trying to win people over with 
long explanations, emotional, emotionally charged often, about how awesome Jesus is. We know this, but we've also been given the faculties, the supernatural intimacy as believers, but they don't have that. An unbeliever cannot relate to such things, which is yet another reason we ought not waste our time or money on giving unbelievers extra-biblical texts or devotionals or whatever it is that tend to be maybe more emotionally charged. We know He's awesome. We know what it means to be in Christ. We know what it means to be grateful, to be adopted into the family. We know all these things, but an unbeliever doesn't have the ability. So I was thinking about that. All the wonderful things you know and experience regarding your Lord and Savior cannot be imparted to an unbeliever. No matter if you are the most exuberant Jesus lover on the planet, you know, you got the fish on your car, you got the Jesus tattoos, you got the Jesus paraphernalia in your house, you got you walk in and as for me and my house we serve the Lord and you, you know, you're you're the greatest most exuberant Jesus lover on the planet. So that has never ever saved one soul ever. Your emotions about Jesus will never ever save a person, nor will they ever effectively evangelize a person. And that's why you don't, you know, these, these TV evangelists you see on television with the pearly whites and the curly hair, and they're just perfectly well-spoken, and everything's professional, and you ever notice how, like, some of these, you know, uh, impromptu YouTube videos about these, you know, famous evangelists. It's just, you know, do you know there's a whole film crew there, right? They show these guys like getting out of their car, acting like it's the end of the day. And it's like, oh, you know, hey, I'm just coming back from, you know, evangelizing 6,000 people. Right? You know what I'm saying? They got a little sweat and they wiped it. How many takes did that take? Do you realize there's like five guys behind the camera, right? With a boom and a, and a you know, $5,000 video camera and they don't, oh, take two. The guy's going to get out of his car again and act like it's the end of the day. Do you follow what I'm getting at? That's satanic. That's not godly. We don't need that garbage to evangelize people. We need the truth. And that's what saves people. Not this garbage that we see in America. Not all the emotionalism. That's a sales pitch. I think some people, and I'm not judging anyone, it's not for me to decide, but some people mistakenly believe that it was because of their energy when presenting a former unbeliever with the gospel that the person believed. They get confused. Now, they may have been saved, but it wasn't your energy. It was the fact that along with your high energy, you know, 
they actually somehow, the Spirit sifted through it all and said, this is true what they're saying about the Son of God. And the person who did the evangelizing takes some of the credit. Did you see? Did you see how I did that? Huh? Did you see how I worked that? Do you see, you know what I'm saying? I, Jesus is awesome. And la, 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 and doing cartwheels, blah, blah. And oh, by the way, you know, give a little scripture along the way. So scripture, actual useful stuff is peppered in the conversation. And God, the Holy Spirit's going, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I'll take that. And this person is looking, it's them. And it's not. Man is constantly trying to rob God of his glory. And no person has ever been saved by the personality of an evangelist, ever. Whether it's this or writing in a book. Because you see the personality in people's writings as well. Personalities never save the person. But I think people get mistaken, and it's easy to do that. But nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible states that the Word is able to save a soul, not your words about how awesome you think Jesus is. Again, what the Spirit's impressing upon us is the fact that we don't save people, which, I don't know about you, is really good news. Because that's quite a burden. Right? That's quite a burden. If God said, hey, it's your job to save people, I'd be like, oh, no. That's a lot of weight. But it's not my job. It's not your job either. And that's why you don't have to alter your personality. You don't have to get into evangelist mode. One of the greatest lessons I learned early on in my life is, look, above all things, be yourself. Just be, if you're an ornery, cranky person, do you know what I'm saying? Like John Gardner? Do you know what I'm saying? If you're just like this cranky old guy, you know what I'm saying? That just shuffles around. Just <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't change your personality. That's what I'm trying to say. Be yourself. Give them the truth. When you get into the song and dance mode, they're probably laughing at you already. Look at this person. They're like a little, uh, I don't know, moron? Right? What are you trying to sell me? As soon as you go into salesman mode, people's go, their guard goes up. All right, what are you trying to sell me now? Oh, you're trying to sell me Jesus now. Or if you're a grouchy person and they say, look how grouchy they are, and they're giving me the gospel, maybe I'll listen. Because they're not trying to sell me anything. Matter of fact, they're not even apologizing for what they're saying. Maybe what they're saying is the real deal then. Hmm. So what the Spirit's impressing upon us is the fact that we don't save people, which is really good news. Good news. Only the Word has the power as an instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Learning these things is what it means to be enlightened. This is what's happening to you. My prayer is the same for you. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened to this kind of truth. 
verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward the, us who believe. Again, up on the board, it seems too obvious to say this, but this means that having the eyes of your heart enlightened is a unique gift to believers only. So the very first thing to understand regarding our title topic, how God enlightens the eyes of your heart, the very first thing to understand is that God's first intention is to save people. Save people. Don't worry about telling everyone how awesome Jesus is. They'll figure it out after they're saved. And then you can have a real conversation with a person who actually can see, who now has been given supernatural ability to actually see what it is you're talking about. So the first priority to God is to save people. That is, to specifically open their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which really just implies truth only. Because, frankly, if they aren't saved, the eyes of their heart cannot be enlightened to the fullness of grace and truth, namely the fullness of Jesus Christ, because that's how he's described. You and I as believers, I mean, we get together often in fellowship and say, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. I, can't, I don't know how I would live now, looking back, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my best friend. He's everything to me. And we get it, and we can converse that way. But you can't have that conversation with an unbeliever. They might say in their heart, you know, I can see that you're really excited about your relationship with Jesus, but I don't see it. They may even, you know, like a lot of unbelievers do, you know, the, 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 the moral ones, they might respect you for having your own relationship. Oh, I get it. I, I respect your relationship with God. It's just not for me. Stated differently, up here on the board, sorry for the eye chart, supernatural seeing, this spiritual sight that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1.18 is unique to believers only. And as the Apostle John referred to receiving grace upon grace in John 1.16, a believer is given sight to see Christ. Well, that's grace. And when they see more of Christ, they are granted even greater sight. And so on and so forth. And so there's a building effect. You see more, you realize more. He gives you more sight. You see more. You realize more, you get more sight to see even more. And it just sort of snowballs. And that's grace upon grace. So they are granted even greater sight and so on. And so goes their transformation into the same image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So let's read that second reference real quick. Go to John 1.14. John 1.14. So this is a big, a big principle on the board. You alright, Anthony? It's not feeling it? Yeah. You got a chair back there? Okay. See, that's a perfect example. You see it? 
Anthony just had to get up because he's not feeling well. He has a really bad stomach issue. And here he is, getting the word. Now he's going to sit in the foyer all by himself, <laughs> staring at the double doors. Do you know what I'm saying? And here you sit, healthy, most of you, able. Just saying. Isn't Jesus awesome? See? Let's read that second reference. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Again, we are talking about how God enlightens the eyes of your heart. And this idea of grace upon grace, grace building upon grace, this is part of what it means to have supernatural sight. You see something, you realize more. And in that realization, your perspective expands. And when your perspective perspective expands, basically you have the ability now to see even more and learn more and give and be given more sight. This is a supernatural thing that an unbeliever cannot even comprehend. It's beyond them. So again, the point of the board, this spiritual sight that Paul speaks of is unique to believers only, and as the Apostle John referred to receiving grace upon grace, a believer is given sight to see Christ, and when they see more of Christ, they are granted even greater sight. And so goes their transformation into the same image of Christ. In other words, we don't see everything the day after we're saved. It takes us time. How many times have you gone back to a scripture that you've read a hundred times and gone, I never saw that before? That's being given more sight. That's what it means. You had to build up over here in this area of your own spiritual growth. Your perspective had to expand. Do you see? Because here's the little kernel. Here's that one thing you just all nodded to. Yeah. You had, your perspective had to expand so that you could see it from a different angle. And when you were out here expanded, looking at that same scripture from a different angle, you saw something totally new. How the heck does that work? That's grace upon grace. Do you think an unbeliever has that? Nope. And is it not true that the more your perspective expands and the more respect you have, uh, for Jesus Christ, the more excited you get about Him, the more grateful you are, and you're like, it's unbelievable. I just want more. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I want more, 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 more. This is so awesome. And, and you're all going, yeah, 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 but you're believers, presumably, right? You're believers. But if an unbeliever is looking at me, they're like, I mean, I respect that you're excited about this Jesus guy, but I'm not. But don't you just want, don't, don't you want to believe? Look at me. Don't you want to believe? I mean, it seems right, but your personality is not going to turn the, turn the knob. Go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. That last reference. 2 Corinthians 3.18. There's nothing wrong with having a personality. It goes both ways. If you happen to be an exuberant, excitable person, then be that person when you evangelize someone. Because at that point, you're not selling them, right? It's just who you are. 
If you're grouchy, if your last name begins with G, <laughs> then be that person. Pat's like, don't loop me in with him. Second <laughs> Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Stated more succinctly up here on the board, I know that's an eye chart, but this one's a little more, a little easier to digest maybe, on supernatural seeing. We see the Lord with the eyes of our hearts, understanding that we too are being transformed into that image we see. An unbeliever will never experience this. I mean, that's part of our great hope is to be transformed, right? An unbeliever doesn't get that. They can't even see what it is that you would be transformed into. But when we read our Bibles, we see Christ. And we say, well, I, I, I do. I'm not there. I'm, obviously, I'm not there yet. I mean, I don't have that. I don't have his faith. I mean, who knows? What, I don't even, I'm ashamed to think about what my faith is compared to his. I mean, it's like ridiculously nothing. But I see him, and I know the promises of God about being transformed because I'm able to see. And part of that sight gives me perspective. And then grace upon grace, I get new perspective into the Scripture that I read, and God the Holy Spirit works with that and builds me up and edifies me and sanctifies me. And that's my transformation. And so we see the Lord with the eyes of our hearts, understanding that we too are being transformed into the image of that we see, an unbeliever will never experience this. So I was reflecting on this. Ask yourselves one simple question. How can a person truly see Jesus Christ and remain ambivalent about Him? How can a person truly see Jesus Christ, and remain ambivalent. In other words, like, meh. Meh. Are you telling me that a person can be regenerated, totally built to worship our Lord and Savior, and then when they supposedly read their Bibles and see Him, they go, DJ, make sure that door's closed because way too much noise coming out. So that's the question. Isn't that a fair question to ask? That's a really important question because how can, so how can someone do that thing? How can someone propose that they can see Christ but yet remain ambivalent? I, that's not possible. Unless, well, unless you're saved, right? I mean, that's not possible to do that unless you're unsaved. Unless they haven't really ever seen Him. That's the point. And they are counted among those whom Jesus will say, Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. How can someone claim to have seen Jesus and be like, eh, unless they've never really seen Him? 
unless they just say they've seen them. All right, let's get back to our instigating principle. Even all of this is coming from this one point, by the way. That the Bible is supernatural. It's the only supernatural book we have. So not only does this supernatural book give us sight to see, including our own transformations into the image of Christ. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at my self last year and I say, I've been transformed even more so into the image of Christ. It's amazing. It's incredible. But it's all supernatural. And so I don't take any credit for it in the process. And I've seen the same in, in most of you, as far as I've seen. So not only does the supernatural book give us sight to see, including our own transformations into the image of Christ, as a result of the supernatural power of this book, we are given the supernatural ability to abide in Christ's love. To abide in Christ's love as a function of keeping His commandments. Go to John 15.10. John 15.10. So not only do we have that, the ability to see, to be transformed, we also are able to abide in His love. That is a supernatural thing given to believers only. And that's why it is also a function of keeping His commandments. John 15.10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you. Now that is another supernatural thing. How do you describe His joy in you? Good luck. Probably take you to the day you die. If you're going to do the fullness, if you're going to do it justice, that's supernatural. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. My joy may be in you. How does that happen? The Word implanted. What gets put in you? The Word. Almost like a seed, right? And then it's, it, it, it grows. And one of the fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's the second one? Joy. Fruit of the Spirit. The Word imparted. So that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is easy to see up here on the board. Supernatural abiding. We find His commandments in one tidy place. The Bible. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That sounds simple, right? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Well, where is commandments? Ta-da! The supernatural book. In other words, we must do as the Spirit is encouraging us to do. Quench our newborn thirst for the Word by reading and hearing it. One last bit of review from Thursday's lesson on our instigating principle, which is this again. The supernatural Bible. The Bible is the only supernatural book we have. God's intention is that we read and hear His Word in a way that lies beyond natural human experiences. Finally then, it's a fact 
that the Bible imparts spiritual abilities to those who obey the commands found in Holy Scripture. You have spiritual abilities that an unbeliever does not have. Spiritual abilities that an unbeliever does not have. But there is an element of obedience to his commands to enjoy these things. In other words, as Paul wrote to the Romans, we believers are transformed daily by the Spirit's power working in us and through us with the Word. With emphasis here on daily, since while we are perfected positionally at salvation, that is true, we are not so experientially. Anyone want to raise their hand and say they are experientially perfected right now? Anybody sin today? John's like, I don't ever. I'm ornery, but I'm sinless. That's how I stay sinless. Poor John. <laughs> With emphasis on daily. We are perfected positionally. We're, no one can take us. No one can snatch us out of his hand. But we fumble a lot experientially. Just read Romans 7, right? Hence the criticality of having the word implanted to your soul. This is the value of it. If we were already perfected experientially, this wouldn't be something that we would do, right? We wouldn't need the word implanted. Because we'd have everything we need. We'd be perfected. We wouldn't need to be sanctified. But we do need to be sanctified. And the means of doing that is with the Word. It's like growing up. You don't, a baby never grows up from infancy if you don't feed it. So it's critical that we have the Word implanted to our souls. For as you may well remember... This is consistent with what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Go to Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16, this is a, I'm not going to get into it again because we went through this months and months ago, but one of the magnificent things about being filled with the Spirit is that it's completely parallel with being filled with the Word. In other words, you can't be filled with the Spirit unless you, as we'll see in Colossians 3.16, unless the Word of Christ richly dwells within you. Hmm. Colossians 3.16. What does it say? And again, I'm not going to get into this. You can find it on the website. The parallel between being filled with the Spirit and this passage. Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Well, those are activities of God the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But look at the intimacy between being filled with the Spirit and let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. These two things are intrinsically bound together in our sanctification. Being filled, having the Word of God. This is how God transforms us into the image of our Lord.
what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae is consistent with what he wrote to the Romans when he wrote this up here on the board. Romans 8.13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death, this is an active voice, this is something that is ongoing, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Believers live a supernatural existence sustained by the Word of God. Remember this, John 14.26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So that's the intrinsic nature of God the Holy Spirit and the Word. Being filled with the Spirit means to have the Word of God richly dwelling in you. This is how it works. Again, our instigating principle is this. The only way this happens, imagine that, is via the Word of God. The Bible is the only supernatural book we have. This is how all the seeing, transformation, etc., this is how it happens. The amazing thing about the Bible is that it gives us everything we need to know about our Lord. Does, does anybody want to raise their hand now and say, you know everything in the Bible? Because if you don't, you don't know everything about the Lord. You haven't seen everything there is to see about the Word itself, which is Jesus Christ. So then why do we spend so much time on extra-biblical things? If we haven't seen all of Jesus yet, why do we spend so much time on extra-biblical stuff? I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with a normal curiosity. Because even like uh, Solomon says, I think it's Ecclesiastes 12, 12, the dedication of too many books is wearying to the soul. And so you can't get, you've you got to give God that time to transform you. To, to transform you. Um, but the, again, the amazing thing about the Bible is that it gives us everything we need to know about the Lord. I think I just lost my train of thought. Forgive me. What was I talking about? Anybody remember? John, were you paying attention? John's like, don't ask me. I'm ornery. Even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Because that's how I am. I hate losing my train of thought. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, thank you, Brian. So basically, um, people spend an inordinate amount of time, it seems, on things that are, I guess, mentioned in the Bible, but they're missing the Bible in the process. I met someone this past week that said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, two years into it. I get, you know, I, I don't know where he was going with this, but, I, you know, I, I listened to so-and-so down south. He was a southern person. And uh, I'm totally into prophecy. I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. And, you know, I have the, every, every morning and every night, I have the blood of the lamb cleanse me. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what does that mean? Do you know what I'm getting at? I'm like, oh, here we go. I got one of these people now. It's got like some partial truth and it's exciting because it's prophetic. You know, it's fire and brimstone. 
Seriously, if I ever want to become a millionaire, I'll just take everything I know about the book of Revelation and blow it out on YouTube and write a few books, and I'll be a millionaire. I mean, I won't be doing anybody any good, but I'll be catching a lot of people that have this morbid curiosity about things that, frankly, I'm still not convinced are going to happen in our lifetime. And, that, and I don't know either way. So just for the record, it could happen right now. It could happen like right now. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm not going to spend all my time on something that could happen 150 years from now or 1,000 years from now because I don't know. And again, I go back to what I said. Unless you know everything about Jesus Christ in this book, then you should be focusing on this stuff. What's in here? The amazing thing about the Bible is it gives us everything we need to know about our Lord. Up here on the board. The whole truth. The good news includes that there is no mystery regarding Jesus Christ and His Gospel. You want to know about, you want to know more about Him? You want to have the eyes of your heart enlightened? Read your Bible. Turn the channel off with pearly whites and curly hair. Turn the channel off on the television and go to your Bible. You want to know more? You want to be sanctified more? You want to have more peace, more contentment, more happiness, more love, more joy, all these things? Read your Bible. The good news includes that there is no mystery regarding Jesus Christ and His gospel. The truth has already been set before mankind. John 1.14, full of grace and truth is, is has, uh, how Jesus is described. He walked in the flesh, spoke His truth, and was quite clear about all of it. For example, we just got out of 30 parts of repentance, but also saving faith. He didn't have any qualms about repent and be saved. He didn't have any problems with stating those clearly. Uh, and everything in the Bible is about Him. Anyways, everything is part of the salvation work of God. I believe what the Spirit's been protecting us from over the past few lessons is simple. He's ensuring that we don't get too familiar with our Lord. You don't get too familiar with this. Well, the Bible's always going to be there, but Johnny Cake's not going to have his 30th birthday party forever. So I'm going to throw the Bible down. I'm going to get drunk. And I'll be too hungover the next two days because I'll be sick to pick up my Bible. So that's like three days lost. And then, you know, then it's like Wednesday. It's hump day by then, right? <laughs> and I'm already planning for Friday. When is Jimmy Cake's birthday? Right? And then it's Sarah Cake, so whoever it is. And I just wanted to be gender you know, neutral. Not that it's always guys. I think he's saying don't get too familiar with the Lord, with your Lord. While it's true Jesus called his disciples friends, it's also true... As Paul would summarize, we are bondservants. The Greek word doulos in view. Bond slaves, bond servants. The perspective the Spirit gave us on this is something that we see when we obey His encouragement to read our supernatural Bibles. If you read your Bible, you will see the attitude of the doulos, the bondservant, in the Bible. Paul is a perfect example, but he wasn't the only one. 
Even Jesus Christ presented himself subservient to his Father's plan. So the perspective from the Spirit is that when we obey his encouragement to read our Bibles, we receive supernatural abilities, supernatural sight, uh, supernatural desire even to serve. It's true we believers have a very special relationship with the Son of God, but the last thing we ever want to do is become familiar with Him. We are friends and bondservants up here on the board. While we rejoice in our friendly relationship with God, having been reconciled, we ought never forget that we have been purchased with a price, namely Christ's own blood, Galatians 6.10, being made bondservants, Acts 20.28, appear on the board. Galatians 1.10, for I am now, or am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant, a doulos of Christ. Again, the entire emphasis this morning is on a topic that has been being stressed for quite some time from this pulpit. That is, the importance of the Word of God being resident in your souls. This is, I cannot stress it enough. The importance of the Word of God being resident in your souls. That is when supernatural sanctification occurs. We are sanctified by truth, by the Word. This is why any pastor worth their salt, for example, James, as we'll see in a moment, wants this thing more than anything for his flock. Any good pastor says, I just want the Word of God implanted into your souls. Because that's what will deliver you. That's what will convict you. That's what will reorient you. That's what will, in the beginning, save you. That's what will do all the work. And I don't have to worry about God the Holy Spirit. He's going to do His job. I want you to take in the Word of God. I want you to be filled with God the Holy Spirit and be sanctified. Go to James one twenty one. James one twenty one. So, guys like me, we have the, the same desire for the sheep, for the flock. James 1.21, we see it with James, who was a pastor. James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, intently, you cannot do that if you're not actually reading the Word of God, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. How do you abide? If you keep my commandments, so says the Lord, and abides by it, 
uh, you will abide in my love, says the Lord, not have, which is the law of liberty, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Up here on the board, so much, so very much. I can sit here all day. I can get all, you know, woo, get all crazy and try to, you know, entice you, exhort you, encourage you to take in the word of God. But really what I'm after is your humility. What, a, what the Spirit's trying to activate in you is your humility. I'm just a vessel. I'm just an instrument. Sometimes I play the fool. I get it. You guys laugh. Sometimes I make fun of John and you laugh at him. Whatever it takes. The whole idea is that you're humble. Because when you're humble, then you receive grace. When you're humble, then you receive the word implanted. That's when the fireworks go off. That's when all the supernatural stuff happens. Because the word has all the power. The word is your nourishment. That's how you grow. In humility, receive the word implanted. First and foremost is salvation. James's desire was consistent with God's as opposed to Satan's desire. Beyond salvation is the fruit of it, something every pastor wants for those in his church relative to the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, we just talked about joy, peace, my peace I give to you, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Contrarily, of course, is what we see with Satan. Go to 2 Timothy 3.1. We see satanic fruit in 2 Timothy 3.1. This is not what I want to see in you. This is why, this, I, what I love about this pulpit, and it could be changed at any point, is it's so honest and it's so prickly, and it's so probing. And I've had people tell me, and I've, had, I've learned through the grapevine too, that people have left this ministry because they felt too invaded. They felt their personal space was too much up for grabs. How dare that guy talk to me that way? How dare he turn over those stones in my life? Well, stop being so self-absorbed. There are a lot of other people in the church. Who says I'm talking about you? I've had some, I had a, a relative leave the church. A relative leave the church shortly after they accused me of talking about them in their situation. I said, really? For real? You're just looking for an excuse. But anyways, this is what we see. This is the fruit of, this is satanic fruit, if you want to say it that way. 2 Timothy 3, 1, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Whew. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's how Satan 
captivates uh, weak people, if you would, using his own agents, whose fruit is obvious. Satanic fruit is obvious. We just read a what, old paragraph of it. That's why when I see that from my vantage point in this congregation, the Spirit encourages me to mention it to you. When I see people being boastful or disrespectful or you take your pick, you know, following the lusts of their flesh, he says, say something. And who cares if they're angry? Because they're not angry with you. They're angry with the Spirit. So don't you get offended. As long as you're teaching the truth, don't you get offended. Because they don't have a problem with you. They have a problem with the truth which is probably why they don't read their Bibles either. Because when they read their Bibles, they receive the unadulterated truth. And they really don't want that. Because that's stronger and more convicting than anything that can come out of your mouth. I know, right? So gritty. Right? <laughs> that's why people don't want the truth. They don't actually want the truth. They want their ears tickled. That's why there are churches filled right now. Some of them with like tens of thousands of people. They still are playing music right now. And they started the same time we did. And guess who's in the audience? Whole film crews. And then they make music videos. And they call themselves ministers. And they get all kinds of tax-free money because they're ministers. And they fly around the world on jets, all expenses paid, because they're ministers. Ministers of what? Exactly. Emotionalism? Where's the truth? I'm not saying you can't have a Christian band, so stop getting excited, you K-lovers. Right? I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the simple things, the truth of the matter. What people want and seek versus the truth. And why it's palatable and why there's you know, so much money changing, why Christianity is a business as much as anything nowadays is so gross. Just so gross. Any pastor worth his salt knows that he can hope all he wants, even labor, until he's exhausted for God's sheep. But he will never, ever, by himself, deliver a soul. At best, he may be an instrument that God uses. That's the very best any of us could ever be, is an instrument that God might use to deliver a soul. But we do not deliver souls. What such a pastor knows is what the Word implanted, or that the Word implanted saves souls in every sense of the word, up here on the board, the word implanted at salvation saves a soul from the penalty of sin positionally, power of sin experientially, presence of sin ultimately. That's what the word implanted can do. It saves people at every so-called theological phase of sanctification the word implanted, penalty of sin, power of sin, presence of sin. 
So why do you think the Spirit has me repeating the same thing to you? Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. And even as of late, with equal emphasis at times, to those who have strayed from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, who is the Word, put down your devotionals. Why is he speaking so heavy-handed? God promises that his word is able to deliver you. Even we pastors who are certainly anointed to carry out a good work for you cannot do this thing. I cannot deliver you. I want for you. You have no idea how badly I want that for you. But I can't do it. Go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. It's so often, it's so painful sometimes, not always, but sometimes, to watch a car wreck in slow motion. To watch someone slowly do something self-destructive. And I can see it from my vantage point even. I'm like saying, what are we doing? The worst is always the opposite sex. Always. Always, always, always. That's the worst. And I have to watch it sometimes. And I have to watch people walk into situations that are unholy. And I try to warn them, but they don't want to hear. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers... For what reason? There you go. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This harkens back to the beginning of class. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by wind, every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's my hope. But let me say it this way. <clears throat> the most important goal for me as your pastor, after your salvation, of course, is that you read your Bibles as much as possible. That's really what I want. I just want you to keep reading your Bibles. That's all I really, that's what I want more than anything. Because I know that's where the power is to deliver you. That I want that the word is continuously imparted to your souls. That's what I want more than anything. And that's what I mean when I'm just a bus driver. I go, see, right there, that passage, right there, read it. Study it on your own. Go do that thing. Or the waiter example. Go back to the kitchen, 
God puts something on the plate, that's a, that's a meal like this one, and I come out and I go, here you go. Will you please eat it? I mean, what does a, what is a, a, a new mother want most for their child who's basically just a useless blob when they're born? No offense. I know they're cute and everything. You know what I'm getting at, right? I'm talking functionally. Eat, right? What is a mother's worst fear? That the baby doesn't eat. For real. Well, how's that any different? Why does, why does the mother just want the baby to eat? Because they want the baby to grow up, to be nourished. You got to eat food. Hello? The bread of life. You got to eat to grow up. That's all I really want. That's what I want most of all. That's why I'm not, I don't want to be involved in your lives, your tragic lives, the horrible decisions you all make. I don't want to be involved. It's too, it's too painful for me. Like, I've tried that route. It's way too painful. I got way too close at one point in my career, and I backed way off. He said, you're way too close. You will burn up like you're coming through the stratosphere, like a comet. You're going to burn up. And that's what happened. I was burning. And he said, you have to step back. I think my leadership team remembers when that happened. And I really did. It was hard, but I had to because it's going to burn up. Too invested. And that's a wonderful blessing that... You all have your problems, but I know and I have faith in the Word and the Spirit to deliver you. We overcome the world by faith. God gives grace to the humble. In humility, receive the Word implanted. Do you see the string of pearls there? My hope is that you just receive the Word. But hey, I got a balance statement for you because this is a mistake that people make. Never forget, and this has nothing to do with Ed Collins, okay? This has to do with a spiritual gift, a grace blessing in your life. Never forget the instrument that God uses to deliver you. For example, your pastor. Why do I say that? Never say... Well, I get it. I just need to read my Bible. I no longer need a pastor. Because there are people that believe that garbage. It's the strangest thing. It's like the pastor is used to deliver them, and then they take off. Having begun by the Spirit, now you're going to perfect yourself with your flesh? I give you a spiritual gift that is used as an instrument to deliver you, and then you're going to run away from it? Do you think you're already sanctified, that you don't need any more exhortation? That's what you think? That you can just go read your Bible now and go sit on your butt, on your couch or your recliner? You don't need a pastor anymore? So this is the balance statement. Never forget how you got to where you are right now. And how God used this vessel, or any vessel that's worth its salt, to deliver you along the way. Not to deliver you, to uh, act as an instrument to deliver you along the way. To be an instrument. Never forget it. 
So never say, well, I get it. I just need to read my Bible. I no longer need a pastor. That is a heinous error and an aberration. Consider how God has already used your pastor to deliver you and the fact that you never arrive. Nobody here is going to arrive. I don't care if you live to your older than John Gardner. You're never going to arrive. And some of you are like, man, this last few years has been the greatest ever. Yeah, well, did he not use an instrument in your life? Did he not use this office as an instrument to get you there? In other words, you are reading your Bibles more because, in part, God has used me to exhort you to do so. Yeah, and you guys look at me like, you just shut up, Aldi. Enough with the read your Bibles. I get it. It's in my, see, look at my notebook. It's in here a thousand times already. I'm just putting exponents now next to it, above and to the right, no nerds. To the hundredth power. Oh, I'm so nerdy. You're reading your Bibles more because he used me to sit here in your grill and remind you with my beautiful personality. (laughs) You know what's funny? Because if you think that way, then you realize a couple of years ago, before the whole read your Bibles emphasis, a couple of years ago was something different. And he used the same vessel. Imagine that. And then next year, it'll likely be something else. Because none of you are totally there yet. And you need it. There's a reason why the spiritual gift exists. It's because you need it. Because you're a dumb sheep. And I say that with all respect, because I'm a sheep too. And if you, think, if you think for one moment, you can ask my wife about this, if you think for one moment that you have it hard, try being in this head. Try being the under-shepherd that reports directly to the great shepherd and see how uh, unscathed you are. See how many complaints you might have at that point. I get it from both ends. i got to look at your mugs, like you know, guppies, and I gotta look at I gotta go home and be convicted by God, the Holy Spirit, and my great shepherd is, I don't know, exhorting me. So just think in that way. A pastor plays a critical role in God's salvation plan as well as his plans to deliver his own experientially. So up here on the board, and then I've got to pick a spot to close here. I think I'll close here. Balance statement. Never underestimate the value of a true man of God. Never, ever underestimate the value of a true man. A guy who's literally saying, in humility, I really just want you to know the truth. I just want you to read your Bible. Have I said that before? I just want that. Why? I want the word in humility 
to be implanted to your souls. Why? Because I have full faith that you will be delivered. It may take some time, like everyone. It's going to take some time. But if you don't take in the Word of God, if you don't take the grace that He gives you, even from this ministry, and I mean all aspects of it, including the blogs, even the Bible studies, the Wednesday Bible studies, all of it. If you're, not, if you're making conscious decisions to say no to that grace, that's painful for me to watch. Because I'm basically watching a car wreck in slow motion. It's really painful to watch. Some of you are like, oh, are we over with this yet? Because I'm feeling guilty right now. I'm feeling a little condemned. Get over yourself. Or maybe, maybe just maybe God will have a cruel sense of humor and put you up here someday. And you can look out at yourself and go, that's what I look like? Yeah, that's what you look like. It's ugly. It's grotesque. You are rejecting the truth as it comes from a vessel sent by God, anointed by God, as an instrument used by God to deliver you. And you're going, I have a problem with you. I have a problem with what's going on this morning. I'm tired of being convicted. Well, then you're an arrogant you-know-what. And I'm here to tell you that because I love you. Because that's what true love looks like. Not pearly white teeth. My teeth are like the size of chiclets. Not curly hair. I don't have any. I have it in some places I wish I didn't. Do you get what I'm getting at? Who cares about that garbage? This is about truth that sets you what? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to gather together to receive the word implanted, to be encouraged, exhorted, convicted even, Father. These are the things that you use. These are the instruments that you use to sanctify us. We're so very grateful for your patience as you do this thing in us. We just ask for your blessings as we continue out to a world to spread the good news about your Son. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.